take upon himself our guilt, our shame, our punishment. He did so that, so that we might have life. So that we might have life through faith in him alone. Father, that precious, precious gift of salvation is something that, uh, that we don't ever want to take for granted. And yet, sometimes, Father, our, we allow our minds to wander. We allow uh, the cares of this world to impact us more than they should. We allow things uh, of this life to be our, our only focus. And Father, forgive us when we do that because our hope is not found in this life. Our hope is in Christ alone. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, he gave us life through his death. Thank you that he has ascended to heaven and has promised to come back for his bride, the church. Father, we look forward to that day. Because we know that in that day, those who have died in Christ will be raised to new life. And those who are, are still here will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to be with him forever as he rules and reigns on this earth, as, as eternity follows that thousand-year reign. Lord, we look forward to being with our Savior most of all. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to have a heavenly mindset. For this world is broken. This world is, has been broken by sin. In fact, the Word of God tells us that uh, all of creation groans under the curse of sin. That's why work is hard and is not as productive as it should be. That's why life is difficult, why we have pains, why growing older comes with slowing down and, and the changes to the body. All these things that are going to be erased when we have our eternal body. So Father, remind us, remind us every day that for the believer in Jesus Christ, this is not home. Father, your call is for us to have a heavenly mindset while at the same time being productive in this life. So Father, help us to balance those two truths. Help us to be faithful to you in this life in the role, whatever role and capacity you've given us. For each person in this room, you've given us different roles. You've given us different abilities. Help us to uh, live out the capacity that you have given us. Lord, if there's someone here today who does not know Jesus as their Savior yet, Lord, help them believe. Convince them of the truth of their sin. Convince them of the truth that Jesus saves. Lord, I pray that you would breathe life into them today. So Lord, I ask as we open your word this morning that these couple verses would be very fruitful in our hearts. They would make a difference in our everyday life that we would, uh, that we would go from this place rejuvenated and ready to, to live out the Christian life in this broken and messed up world. 
So, Father, we ask for your blessing on your word. We ask for your blessing on us as we examine your word and apply it to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 3. Continuing our series, The Mind of Christ. It is vital to Christian life that we continually look to Jesus as our example. Just as our physical life requires constant breathing, I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? We have to keep breathing in order to remain physically alive. Spiritual life requires a constant fixation on our Savior. I'm not suggesting if you stop looking at your Savior, you stop being saved. Don't take that illustration too far. But if we don't have our minds set on Christ, we are going to wither and be weak as a believer. So how do we keep pursuing the mind of Christ? That that is our theme. Uh, Go ahead, Robert, put our theme verse up there. Uh, Our theme is... Uh, that great passage of scripture where Christ humbled himself. Would you say it with me? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I'm trying real hard to not look, and yet I'm also in front of you with a microphone. I know if I mess up, that's bad, so I glance every once in a while. How many of you have it memorized? I know some of you do. Keep working on it, keep working on it. How do we keep pursuing the mind of Christ? Is it just reciting these verses over and over again? Well, that'll help, but... It's more than that. And we, and we saw that last week in our passage. Uh, we saw that, uh, that, that we have a way actually spelled out for us in Scripture, and that's follow others. Follow others who are solid believers in Jesus Christ. In verse 17, Paul said, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Imitate, mimic, follow. These are all essential parts of growing into godly, spiritually healthy people. We call that discipleship. In the Greek world, the word disciple referred to someone who was an adherent, a follower of someone else who would learn and study and examine the ways of that other person and then also help someone else to do the same thing. So so when the New Testament throws at us the word disciple, there was a a, a strong cultural element that they already understood. When, When Jesus gave that great commission to his disciples telling them to go and make disciples. That's that's Matthew chapter 28. You'll recall that Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. And and, and it continues. Uh, When he says make disciples, he didn't have to explain to them what that meant. They knew. They knew it. It it meant 
be a follower of Jesus and help others be followers of Jesus. So in the Great Commission, did Jesus tell his followers, go tell people about me? Well, no. He said, make disciples. Does that involve telling people about Jesus? Yes, absolutely. But if our, uh, if our process stops at just telling people about Jesus, then we have not made disciples. Uh, in fact, if, if our process stops at just telling others or even just hearing about Jesus and it doesn't lend itself into actually living like Jesus and helping others live like Jesus, then we're not being a disciple. If we're not continually learning from others about how to live the Christian life, being selective who we're following, okay? Paul doesn't say imitate anyone who claims the name of Christ. He says imitate me and those who are faithful. If we're not continually learning from others, then we will stagnate. Uh, We risk wandering into heresy. I mean, by the way, if you read the scripture and and you, you believe that you've come up with some kind of interpretation about what a certain passage says, and you can't find a single soul that has written anything about that, you're probably wrong. In fact, I'm going to go out a little bit farther. You are wrong. Because the scripture has been finished for about 2,000 years, and people have been writing commentaries and understandings about scripture over and over again. If you think you've come up with something new, I'm sorry, you haven't, right? And, and that's the importance of, of following others, We protect ourselves from heresy when we follow faithful people. And that was the point last week. Uh, The title of our two sermons is Semper Fi. Always faithful. We looked at the faithfulness last week. uh, And today we we add to that uh, the the always part. Today's, uh, last week's passage then flowed into this warning against what it looks like to be unfaithful. What unbelievers act like, that their, their end is destruction, uh, and so on and so forth, and th- which, which paints, a, which makes today's passage, here's where I'm getting to, we're getting to today's passage eventually, I promise, makes today's passage a passage of contrast. In fact, if you look with me at Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, that first word, but... In contrast to what we saw in previous verses, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Very brief and profound two verses. God, I ask you that you would use these verses in our hearts today. That we would not cling so tightly to the things of this earth, whether it be possessions or, or job or statue, stature. Lord, help us to cling to our Savior Jesus most of all. We ask this in his name, amen. Our big idea this morning is God wants to focus our hearts on heaven. He wants us to focus our hearts on heaven. I don't know if you're like me in this or not, but some days it's really easy to have our hearts focused on heaven, isn't it? When life is just 
really hard or you suffer a loss, you're like, I just can't wait to see Jesus. But there are other days when life's just fine. Like, you know what? I have plans and ambitions in this life. I, I don't want Jesus to come back quite yet. I don't know if anyone would raise your hand if I asked for it, but don't we think like that sometimes? That, you know what? Life is pretty good. I like my life. God wants us to focus our hearts on heaven. First thing we see in verse 20 is the community of fidelity. Remember that word fidelity is faithfulness. We have a community of fidelity. We see that in the word citizenship. But our citizenship is in heaven. Notice the, the verb tense here. Not our citizenship will be in heaven. No, our citizenship as believers in Jesus Christ right now, our citizenship is in heaven. Our eternity starts here and now. We are citizens now. Now, uh, the, the, in the Roman Empire, uh, Roman citizenship was a big deal. And, and Philippi was, was part of the Roman Empire. So when Paul drops this word citizenship, uh, that carried a lot of weight the Roman Empire had, in essence, a different set of laws for someone who was a citizen versus someone who was not. Now, that's a little weird, uh, but if you were a, a citizen of Rome, you had more rights and privileges. You had more protections, and this is reflected in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 22, uh, don't read it now, please. But you go ahead, mark it down, read it this afternoon. In Acts 22, we have this, this long narrative uh, of what's going on in Paul's life. He's about to be beaten by the authorities, even though no due process has been done, no official charges have been filed. And once the men that are about to beat him hear that he's a Roman citizen, he says, is it, he's kind of snarky here. He says, is it lawful to beat a citizen without trial? Well, all of a sudden, the people that are about to beat him were terrified because they knew it wasn't lawful. They didn't know that he was a Roman citizen. So immediately they stop and send him through the due process that he is afforded because he is a Roman citizen. Foreigners were not protected in such a way. They didn't have to have due process. They could just be beaten on the spot for any reason or none at all. Paul exerts his Roman citizenship and gets out of that beating. Citizen has its, citizenship has its privileges. It had it in Rome. It has, it's true in our society as well. A citizen of the United States has a say in our government. That's great. We should exercise that say. A citizen of the United States has protections. For instance, if you are a citizen of the United States and you go visit Canada, crime-ridden Canada, and you get, that was a joke, okay, Canada isn't crime-ridden. You go to another country, and you end up going missing. The United States government will spare almost no expense to find you. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because you're a citizen. Because your family back home has said, hey, he's gone missing, uh, we don't know what to do, and the the government will, will go and, and put all sorts of resources into rescuing you. 
citizenship means something in our nation. It meant something in theirs as well. It meant something to the Philippians. And Paul says, it doesn't matter where you are in this world. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. It doesn't mean that we abandon our earthly allegiance or our citizenship to the United States or what have you. But just know that we are exiles and aliens in this land. We are. When the Israelites were taken into captivity, uh, they were removed from their homeland. They were carted off to Babylon. God told them, God commanded them to make the most of it. To live fruitful and productive lives while they were in exile. This is from Jeremiah chapter 29. I'd like to read a few verses for you from Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, that last little bit, uh, there are prophets who are telling the people of Israel, don't worry, we're going to go back to our land soon, everything's going to be fine. The Lord says, no, you're here for the long haul, make the most of it. Now, we're not Israel, and we're not in Babylon. But we are citizens of another world. We are citizens of heaven. And we are exiles in this land. We should make the most of it. Back in Jeremiah chapter 29, God told them they were going to be exiles for 70 years. That means most adults hearing that prophecy were going to be dead before they went back to Jerusalem. They were in it for the long haul. Prophets were telling, the false prophets were telling them, don't worry, we'll be back soon. God says, no, settle in, grow food, grow your family. All that time that they were there, they knew that they belonged back in Israel. They had a longing to be back in their homeland. Children that were born while they were in exile heard stories of what life was like in the homeland. And they developed that longing as well. The exile of the Israelites serves as a good illustration of believers, of you and I in the church age. And the writer of the Hebrews expressed as much. I know I'm, I'm doing a lot of jumping around. I apologize for it, but that's where the scriptures are today. Hebrews chapter 11. You remember that great chapter, that hall of faith where uh, God lays forth starting with with Cain and Abel saying how Abel was found faithful. A few verses in, Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, 
and having acknowledged and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I love Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, a while back, we went through the entire book of Hebrews, and chapter 11 was one of the main reasons I wanted to do the whole book. That hall of faith. By faith, Abel offered a more, more honoring sacrifice to God. And because of their faith, what, is, what does the writer say in that middle of that chapter? He says, because of their faith, God has for them a better place. That heavenly place. We too are exiles. We too are are to make the most of it. We're to have families. We're to build communities and culture. We work and we rest and we play in this world and we have a longing for our eternal home through all those activities. No matter how good life is in this world, we have a longing for that better city, our heavenly home. This eternal citizenship means that we have a greater belonging. This community of Jesus Christ that is not bound by the curse of sin like this world is. This eternal community is ruled by the perfect Son of God. And, and this eternal community has an eternal home. And folks, it's not here. I am quite happy to be a citizen of the United States. In fact, uh, I was especially happy in the year 2020 to be a citizen of Iowa. And not only Iowa, a citizen in rural Iowa. You know what I'm talking about. Because it was just crazier in other places. I'm quite happy to live in Harlan. But it's not home. As good as life can be in this world, it's not home. In fact, we should never feel fully at home here. We should never feel fully at home in the presence of sin. You remember the, uh, the account of Lot, how he was uh, not only in a very sinful town, the, the city of, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he was actually one of the leaders. Uh, the, the word tells us that he, was, that he sat at the gate, meaning that he was, uh, that was the, like the town hall that we would have. He, he was well-known and a leader of that town, and he was comfortable there. We should never be at home in the presence of sin. The saying goes, home is where the heart is. Unless you wrote it in your Bible, you're not going to find it in the Bible. Okay, But there's a biblical tone to that, isn't there? Our hearts set on Jesus should never be fully satisfied here. Because our home is with him. Which takes us to the second part of verse 20. We've seen the community of fidelity. We see the reward of fidelity, and that is Jesus. We wait for, we anticipate 
our Savior. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our eternal reward is Jesus. Does that excite you? We are a bunch of conservative Baptists. It's okay if you're like... But it excites us, right? It should, anyway. He's the one who loves us more than anyone ever has. A good mama loves her children. I don't know if you had a good mama or not. I don't know everyone's individual situation. But a good mama loves her children and would do anything for her child. And Jesus loves you more. A good husband loves his wife. And a good wife loves her husband. And Jesus loves you more. More than your spouse could ever love you, more than your parents could ever love you. Jesus loves you more than you love yourself. And in a way, we all love ourselves. Have you ever had a long distance relationship? They can be rough. Amanda and I had one, it was only for a month. So for those of you who were like in the military and spent months and months apart, I'm aware that what I'm going to tell you is nothing in comparison. But we had been married for just a couple years. Amanda had applied to be a police officer in Dallas. I know I've told this story, so some of you were like, I think I've heard this before. It's okay. We got a phone call on a Wednesday morning that she had to be at police academy Friday morning. We were living in Pella, Iowa, and she had to get to Dallas. So I, in essence, threw her on a plane and stayed back so I could get the house ready to sell, get our possessions ready to move. And so for that month, we were separated. We had cell phones, but we did not have a nationwide plan. It would cost a dollar a minute. So that was not a go. We were not going to do that. Uh, so in order for us to talk, I had to wait for the appropriate time and hope she was free and could find a phone and call me. Now, I was busy. I was packing up a house. I was uh, finishing painting walls and fixing things. But there was this longing to be back together. So I packed everything that I could into our S10 Chevy Blazer and moved, yes, an S10 Chevy Blazer, <laughs> Moved to, to Dallas, Texas, and we moved from this, this wonderful turn-of-the-century two-story home that we loved. We had been working on it, making it the way that we wanted it to be. We left that wonderful house to move into an apartment complex, into a 300-square-foot studio apartment. My living room is bigger than that, okay? 300 square foot is very, very small. Now, we only lived there for a handful of months, and in that handful of months, there was only one murder in the complex, so it was one of the safer, <laughs> safer complexes in the Dallas area. We left quaint and quiet Pella in a house that we loved to a city that we didn't and an apartment that was awful, but we were together. Home was where the heart was. It didn't matter. We were together. For the believer, 
true home is where our heart is and our heart is fixed on Jesus. In verse 21, we see the permanence of fidelity. Jesus is going to transform our lowly bodies and we have lowly bodies. Our bodies keep breaking. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our eternity is a physical, permanent existence. There's a couple very important words in verse 21. Like his. Some of you are in pain as I speak, and not because I'm speaking. Because you have physical things going on, and you're just in pain. Jesus promises to make our bodies new. One that doesn't experience pain, one that cannot die again. It says that our body is going to be made like his. We will have a transformed, a refurbished, a renewed body that will be like his glorious body. So what is Jesus' glorious body like? John chapter 21 gives us some clues. It's not the only place in scripture, uh, but we, we have this uh, this story, this narrative of, of Jesus meeting with his disciples, and this is the third time that he's done so. They're out by the lake. The disciples are in the lake. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught a thing. And Jesus calls from the shore, go ahead, throw your nets on the other side of the, sh- of the boat, which should have rung some bells because that's how some of those disciples were called in the first place back at the beginning of his ministry. But he does this again in John chapter 21. So while he's there, he he makes a fire. He makes some breakfast for the disciples as they're hauling in all the fish. He used his voice to call out to the disciples from the boat. And as they they look back at him, they see him. They kind of recognize him, but they kind of don't. So perhaps in his glorified body, all the, the sun exposure, how that ages the skin and makes him look different. Perhaps that wasn't a case anymore. He, he was recognizable, but also not recognizable. Not quite sure what to do with that, but just to be true to the scripture, that's what we know. He conversed with them. He gestured. He, sh- he stretched out his arms to show Peter how he was going to die by crucifixion. He ate bread and fish with them. He was a physical being just as you and I are physical beings. God created us to be physical and spirit beings. So uh, should the spirit leave this physical shell, our body dies, right? We have to have both. The Bible tells us that one day God will convert our physical bodies to be as good as new, actually better than new. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all fall asleep. We shall not all die, is what he's saying. But we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and what? The dead will be raised incorruptible or imperishable or immortal, whichever word helps you understand that you will never die again. The dead in Christ will rise again. He continues, 
for this corruptible body, this dying body, this body that has pains and limitations, this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. In case you didn't catch it, our new body is actually our forever body. We use the word forever to mean a lot of things. When someone's adopted, we say that they've been adopted into their forever home. I'm not downplaying that terminology. It's great terminology. When people get married, they talk about being together forever. But eternity is a whole lot longer than that, isn't it? When we talk about a forever body, we're not talking about just being something that's a little new, that's, that's brand new and a little more robust. We mean forever. Our new bodies will never die. How does that transformation take place? By the power of Jesus. Verse says that, that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. By being God the Son, he has the power to do this, and he promised he will. Jesus, the one who spoke into nothingness, and simply by speaking, all things came into existence. He created the universe by the power of his voice. That same Jesus, one day, is going to reconstruct all our bodies doesn't matter how long someone has been dead. It doesn't matter the condition of the body. Decay is a real thing. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he's going to gather up those who are living and he's going to raise up those who have died. God wants us to focus our hearts on heaven. How do we do that? Well, in, in the previous verses, verse, well, verse 19 specifically says their, their end, these unfaithful, the unbelievers, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And then there's this contrast, but our citizenship is in heaven. The unfaithful, the unbelievers, have their minds set on earthly things. We have our minds set on heaven. They have their minds set on all the cares of this world without looking beyond it because they can't. We have the same cares of this world, but we see beyond it, don't we? We must train our hearts and minds to focus on Jesus. To train yourself means to constantly work on it, day in, day out. Constantly filling our hearts with scripture. Constantly reminding ourselves that this broken world is not home. Would you pray with me? Father, we long for our heavenly home. Father, sometimes we we don't have 
a strong enough longing, though. Sometimes we allow the cares of this world to overshadow our desire for our eternal home. And sometimes we act like the unbelievers of the previous verses, having our hearts set on earthly things, the pursuing of money and, and status, the pursuing of, of all the things the, earth, the, the people of the earth hold dear. And so, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for not, our, not having our, our hearts fixed on you. Because, Lord, if we, if we had our hearts fixed, fixated on Jesus the way that we should, we would, we would not feel at home here. Father, we want to thank you, first of all, for making a way for us to have heaven as our home. And it didn't happen by our actions. It didn't happen by our legacy or our heritage. It hasn't happened because we are capable of, of living to a certain standard of righteousness. We have heaven in view because of Jesus and him alone. We have heaven in view because he died for our sins, making a way for us to be right with you when we come to you in faith. So, Father, thank you for making a way for heaven to be our home. Lord, help us in the here and now. However, however much time you, you give us on this earth, help us to live as citizens of heaven, having our allegiance to heaven greater than the allegiances we might have for anything else. We thank you and we praise you for this great comforting truth that this world is not the end of the story. That there is heaven, a place where there is no sickness and no death, a place that is ruled by our Savior, a place that has no end. So Father, help us to live for you as we await that great day. In Jesus' name we pray.